This conference will now be recorded. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanta Walker here, and we're doing another show within a show. You know, listeners, how we do the roundtable discussions with Dr. Paul Meyer, and we do the Empowered Empath show and mental health perspectives. I don't know why, but this is kind of a thing for me. I love doing these. I love having a regular co-host to generate ideas with and also, um, you know, get good guests to come on and have the dynamic between the two of us um, interviewing someone. So I have a wonderful person with me, Catherine Limpo. Catherine, thank you so much for wanting to do this. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So I want to you know, listeners, I want you to come on this journey with us because we're still figuring out what this show is going to be. Um, Catherine's uh, title for it, I love, which is Women Who Lead. And there's a, there's some themes behind that. And uh, I'm going to put that on Catherine first. But I want to bring up first just so that you listeners can be part of the story or the genesis of this and help us create this as we go along. Catherine, what were your what were you thinking and, and how did it come to be that you A knew about mental health news radio and B that you wanted to do a show about women in leadership? Well, I'll start with the mental health news radio question because I think that's quite pertinent. Um, and that is um, I've gone through a fairly significant mental health journey myself over the course of my life. And it changes flavors at different times, of course. Um, but most recently, I made the choice to leave, you know, what's being touted now as a narcissistic relationship. Um, and I was seeking um, help. I was seeking insight from experts who knew more about the topic uh, than I did. And I certainly didn't know anything uh, when I stumbled across mental health news radio. So mm -hmm. there were, you know, a few key bits of information and a few podcasts that were housed there that um, became literal lifelines for me. Um, so that's how I stumbled upon your network specifically. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that's a familiar story for you. <laughs> I mean, it is, but it's always, I still am live in this bubble because I don't look at all the people that I'm speaking with where anytime someone says that I, um, I think, oh my gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> Even though I know there's a lot of people who listen, I still, it's still a big deal because I think, uh, yeah, I don't know. You just don't think about like how many people are actually tuning in. So whenever someone says, well, I'll put it this way, our transcriptionist, who is also a friend and uh, does wonderful, you know, lots of other wonderful things. I was talking to her about something and I said, I don't, you know, I don't know if you listen to that show or not. Cause I really, in my head was thinking clearly she doesn't listen to shows that she doesn't have to transcribe. <laughs> and she goes, what do you mean? If I listened, I listened to every show. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you just don't, you don't think about it that way, but anyway, <laughs> so yeah, to the I women can, uh, lead part. <laughs> well, you know, and that really gets down to the heart of the matter. I think of what, um, what I was hoping that we could, um, discuss not only today, but ongoing as, is a very important theme. So I wrote to you, um, in the middle of June, 
while I was having a moment, I had um, been traveling on some business and had had some, I think, fairly significant epiphanies about, you know, not only the the women that I work with, but how I want to be a support for other women in my, in my mm-hmm. life. And, um, you know, just like you were talking about really not understanding your sphere of influence because that's yeah. what you're talking about. You know, you, Thank you're you. talking Much about not, <laughs> yeah. And not, and not really having a, um, you know, maybe not a, um, uh, a true grasp, but at least, a um, you know, a good realistic understanding of how many people you actually influence. And I think, um, as as women in particular in our lives, we not only struggle to make an impact that we feel is significant at times, and I'm not saying everybody has that problem, but we really don't understand the magnitude of the influence that we really do have. So, um, you know, what you just said about mental health news radio, I, I think very nicely mirrors the the thought process um, that brought me here and brought me to the email that I wrote to you. Mm. Yeah. And I, as I, and then we talked on the phone and I thought, oh, this is interesting because I was having, I've been having more and more young women, um, you know, women in their early and middle twenties come to me and say, you know, they're so empowered by what they hear we talk about and that they want me to mentor them. And I, I thank them for that. Of course, it's a huge compliment, but I don't really think, oh, I'm not good enough to be a mentor or whatever. I don't think those thoughts. I would have a few years ago. Um, it, it doesn't really phase me in in a good way or a bad way, but it does make me think, oh, I must be reaching that age where, um, you know, younger women want to know. The like sage oh, age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, I, I probably should learn how to embrace this in a in an empowering way, or I won't be a very good mentor. Cause if I'm dismissive about it, that's not very good. If I have an ego about it, that's not good either. So how can I use this as another step in my own growth? And mm-hmm. then you sent the email and then we spoke on the phone and I, I remember emailing you back and it was, you know, something akin to, I need to step into this. Yes. So maybe yeah. that's why you showed up. <laughs> Well, I think, I think people are there when we need them. Right. (laughs) So so maybe, uh, maybe that's what this opportunity is for you as well. Um, Definitely. Definitely. And we both have careers where we're, we've been the lone woman um, at the table, the board seat, the, you know, the business, the meeting, the whatever, and still are here. So uh, there's something to be said for that. There's so many more opportunities today than there were when we first got started. And that's great that there are, but um, there's a, there's some stuff that you learn (laughs) from being the lone woman at the table um, that definitely needs to be conveyed to younger generations of women for sure. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And, um, you know, I could talk a little bit about, um, you know, my career and kind of where it's taken me for a minute, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So, um, I, I'm not a a flag waver of myself. I think at one point in time I would have been accused of being a a self promoter, 
but I realize now that it came out of a significant place of insecurity. It was mm -hmm. more a desire to be seen than it was really a desire to, um, you know, be notable or have people um, talk about me and promote me. Um, so I started um, my career uh, almost 20 years ago now. Um, I graduated from the University of Oregon. I was recruited by Ford Motor Company uh, into their human resources function and would spend the next 10 years just outside of Detroit working for Ford and very much um, not necessarily always being the only woman at the table, but uh, one of very few, mm -hmm. with the exception of the human resources function, which was replete with women, of course. Right. Um, and tends to be in many companies. Um, but as I moved more into a functional role uh, outside of human resources, the percentage was less and less. Um, and pretty soon I, I came to do mental math every time I came into a room. Um, <laughs> in a manufacturing environment, uh, the percentage of women tends to be very low. And even at Ford where Diversity was a huge goal of theirs, and they've been very successful in in promoting that and really recognizing talents that occur across genders and races and, and other groups of peoples. Um, the percentage of women in the room tended to hover around 6 and 12 percent. Mm. And ironically, even after almost 20 years of career, that percentage has not changed very much. Interesting. Um, and that's specific to manufacturing and, and industrial equipment industry, which is where I am now today. Um, so within that percentage, it's really not about being loud or knowing more than anyone else in the room. In fact, I think that even more important, um, we're there as a, a presence that brings a very important balance when you're uh, between six and 12% in the room that obviously doesn't exist in the other percentage. <laughs> right. So um, I, I don't think that it really bothered me when I first got to Ford. I think it just happened to be a, a fact of life. And somehow, um, as I traversed my career with increasing roles of responsibility and taking on greater scope, um, I did find, however, that not all women, but most women um, would come to the table with something. So they would tend to come to the table with what they left the house with. Um, and generally, it was a concern about a child or a concern about a family dynamic. Um, and yet they would rise to the occasion, in some cases lead us through meetings, generate an outcome. And so all that to say, uh, somehow we still managed to be there, get done what we needed to do. Um, and then step into other roles in our lives um, that seem mutually exclusive from the women we were when we were in our industrial setting or manufacturing setting at work. Right. So 
the thought that occurred to me, you know, 20 years later, <laughs> now, now um, verging on sage, I suppose, although I don't really see myself that way at all. Um, it's how do we blend all of these um, experiences that we have in our lives where we, where we are leaders and really maximize those blendings in order to be as present and as powerful as possible as women in whatever environment we happen to find ourselves in. Um, so I, I think that my own presence and my own leadership went from a place of, you know, insecurity and trying to be the loudest voice in the room from that place. And it's very much shifted over the years to, I want to be the quiet room or I want to be the quiet voice in the room because there are so many other people in the room who I realize not only know more than I do, but have very, very important things that I can learn as a leader. Interesting. That's a, that's a great um, modus operandi for anyone, regardless of gender. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I think we, we, if we're wise or we're going down a wise path, we do tend to become more quiet mm -hmm. because we spend a lot more time listening. And something that I've noticed is, you know, when you're starting a company, when you're doing any kind of new venture, you're in new management positions, you're whatever, and you're climbing the ladder to success. So you're on the climbing side. Um, you are more self-focused because you are trying to prove yourself. You're trying to have a voice. You're trying to whatever. And everybody goes through that stage. And then you, uh, it's not like, I don't ever sit anywhere and think, oh, I've reached the level of success that I've wanted to reach. I'm whatever. But there is a place where you feel comfortable with what at whatever place you've reached and you're not climbing, 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 climbing as much anymore. Mm -hmm. And you become more quiet. And there's so much that you can learn in that space of being quiet. And I say that as, you know, here I do till, you know, here I do this podcast and I'm on the radio a lot, <laughs> <laughs> but my, I know the intention behind my voice these days is much more quiet, even though I'm still talking. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have that same, uh, the same intentions as I did. I'm not in as much trauma. I'm much more empowered and I, I want, I'm, I'm, I feel confident in myself in a way that I didn't before. So I don't need to be so. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, that's one of the key behaviors that does shift as we grow as leaders over time. And it's interesting that we kind of, um, settled on, <laughs> settled on this one initially, um, because I, I think that um, after the last two weeks with uh, some of my global employees, they would argue that I'm quiet and that I listen, <laughs> or they would argue that I'm not quiet and that I don't listen. Um, I think it's I think it's circumstantial, but um, in any case, um, there was a executive director I worked for at one point in time who had a uh, a saying written on his whiteboard in permanent ink so that it could not be erased. And that was when I'm quiet and I listen, I learn a lot. 
and that was his constant reminder to folks who would cycle through his office that sometimes we, you know, of course, uh, listen to respond or reply or react as opposed to listening to really understand the meaning behind the words. Right. And I think that that's one of the key differences in, you know, being someone who manages people and tells people what to do and someone who leads people. There's a lot of leadership and content in the reflection and silence. Mm, very true. Very true. I used to, when I would meet someone new that I would co-host with, I would, there were a lot of things that, you know, that go through, go through your mind or someone who would be a regular guest even. It was never, oh, I want to show everyone how much more I know about this person. It was never an envy thing or they're going to, you know, show how awful I am in comparison to them. I just don't, my brain doesn't go to those places. Thankfully, they go to other unhealthy places, but not those particular ones. <laughs> of course. <laughs> we love but, our uh, demons, don't we? Exactly. Exactly. But I, I still felt like, oh, I need to say something. Oh, I would interrupt a lot more, which I'm sure was completely annoying, but they kept coming back. So yay for that. Um, and now when I do some the shows that I do where it's with, reg, you know, regulars, I still am expected um, uh, in some cases to be res responsible for the hosting of the show meaning I'm watching the time, I'm making sure we're not going off course, I'm still doing stuff behind the scenes that uh, doesn't necessarily come out vocally. And it's been nice to be able to do that and not feel like I have to jump in and have my say. Mm -hmm. It can just be what it is. Not everything has to, you know, come out like word vomit in this session right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I can sit back and see what happens in my silence, mm -hmm. which is, which is, um, that's a, when you, especially when you've had childhood abuse or childhood neglect, obtaining your voice, find even finding what it is, getting practiced at using it, getting practiced at using it well. Um, using it to work out your pain and having sometimes that be painful for others to be around. Uh, and then, you know, just all everything about using your voice when you come from that kind of a background or when you marry someone who's trying to squelch it or whatever, or friendship or family, whatever. That journey of being able to use your voice from a confident space and being able to use it in talking and then also have the grace of silence is a really fascinating journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the need, uh, you know, the difference between the need to um, fill the space with noise yes. <laughs> and, um, you know, being able to be silent with a purpose and understand, you know, when your words are going to be most impactful. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a nuance. It's a, it's a difference that's learned. And, you know, you brought up something that, um, that we had talked about before, and that was um, the things that influence our voice um, or, you know, inspire us to either speak up or not. And, and that is our, our histories and our backgrounds. Right. So, 
I think as women, we bring something very special to the table. And I, I'm not intending to at all, um, you know, make this a, a man bashing thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that we have some very unique challenges and problems that we need to deal with in our lives anyway, that, you know, clearly men don't. We're, we're women. We're unique people. Um, and, and I think that um, we, regardless of whether we're ready to embrace the role or not, are sort of forced into the position of leader in many aspects of our lives. Um, it could be, um, you know, leading our peers as a young woman in high school and, you know, showing what we feel either the right or sometimes the wrong behavior is, you know, and, and people follow us. Um, as we get older and perhaps take on the responsibility of a family, we're expected to be, we're expected to be um, the leaders within the context of that family. And I know that there are some traditional mindsets that, you know, fly in the face of that and, and put the man as, you know, sort of the, the head of the household uh, in a biblical reference. But when it comes down to, you know, the leadership of the children and the household, I think that women who see themselves in a, you know, defined homemaker role would um, would take issue with that. You know, they would definitely see themselves as as the leader of the home in a lot of ways. And then as we transition into um, professional environments, we take on yet another type of leadership, another shroud of leadership, so to speak, um, because I kind of look at this as layers. And despite all of the mantles of leadership we've worn outside of our career, um, you know, we're still expected to be a certain type of leader when we finally, quote unquote, get there. <laughs> um, and how do we do that without the strong influence from where we've come? I think it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, there's no way. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, exactly. Walk a mile in my shoes. Well, you have to walk a mile in your own shoes. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> um, I remember talking to a, a gentleman I was working on with a, a project at a plant once. And, um, you know, we were all staying at hotels, um, you know, moving into the plant to work during the day and going back to the hotel at night. And I offered to stop at Starbucks uh, on the way into work. And um, he looked at me and he said, I, I don't drink Starbucks. I, I don't care for any, but thank you. And I, I said, oh, okay, no problem. I was just doing it to be courteous, not because I'm a big Starbucks fan or anything like that. Um, right. But he made a point of saying, I never drink Starbucks because I grew up poor. And I just can't see paying for a cup of coffee like that. And I thought, well, okay, that's, you know, no problem. But really the, the story he was telling me was a lot larger than that. And it was that he had brought his past even into the context of a question as to whether he wanted coffee or not mm. and was making a decision about coffee based on how he had shown up that day. So I'm not saying that he was mad because I asked him that if he wanted a cup of coffee or, you know, that having a cup of coffee was a good idea or a bad idea. It was simply that he made the decision as to whether to ask me to get coffee for him based on his past. 
Right. And somehow in professional environments, I believe um, that as women, we're asked to suppress our past. We're asked to suppress where we came from mm, and we're asked to show up in the context of um, the, the leadership role that's been placed before us. Um, but part of, I think the important thing that we need to continue to explore, you know, in the context of this show and, you know, taking it back out into our lives is being a leader on so many facets really allows us to a rich gamut of um, experience. Yeah. And even from our histories at home, you know, coming from abusive environments, um, how do we take those lessons into our leadership experience? And how do we teach those around us the qualities that we've learned to embrace um, because of our past? And I've said this to you before, as opposed to in spite of our past. <laughs> Absolutely. And I was thinking when you were talking about the coffee, <laughs> I know we're not going to, well, we're going to turn this into whatever it's going to be. It's going to turn itself into whatever it's going to be. But my first thought was there, there were a number of times when I, in different scenarios, when I would make the same kind of offer and sometimes I was then expected to always be the person who fetches the coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sometimes it was, why are you offering to get me coffee? Like I was doing something manipulative or, you know, and obviously each time it was the other person or person's past that they were bringing to the table. But um, it, it's just, it's been fascinating coming, being someone that says, hey, I'll go grab this for everybody. You know, isn't that nice? And then how that's received later and my own attitude like how do I handle my attitude when it is becoming a oh Kristen's <laughs> always going to get the coffee um no Kristen's not always going to get the coffee you can go get the coffee next <laughs> yes yeah I call that falling into a role yeah. <laughs> and, and that can't become a hole <laughs> yes that's that's right you know it's the the minute you decide that um, you know, it's okay for you to do this once someone else decides it's okay for you to do that forever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it may have nothing to do with gender. <laughs> it may just be that they're, they're not yeah. a think of everybody person. And also to not be so, I used to be so grateful when a man would step up and be the one that fetches the coffee, like he would get a gold star and I, and some of them were great about that and we were just equals and they do it, I do it. And others got so used to being the golden boy of the room that does the stuff that other men won't do mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they became kind of entitled about that behavior. And I thought, you know, I don't get a gold star when I do it. So let's get over this whole gold star thing. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So there's That's all right. kinds of interesting dynamics. <laughs> and it is funny that, um, you know, somehow that, uh, that offer would be rewarded in, in someone whose gender doesn't ascribe that activity typically to it, you know, yes. <laughs> but in any case, you know, it's not necessarily a, a, a gender thing 
but I, I do have a funny story about that too. And I have, um, you know, because of where I've been and, um, the situations that I've been in over the course of the years, um, yeah, I've told you this before too. I kind of feel like I have a, a movie camera following me around, like it's a sitcom, you know, and in particular in my, in my career, the funniest things happen sometimes. Um, there was one instance where, um, I was in China and, um, I was there to solve an issue with a company that we were having a problem with. And the, it was a Chinese company that we were dealing with. And the leadership of that company did not know I was a woman. Um, and I walked in to the room um, and I sat down and one of the gentlemen turned to me and said, uh, do you think that we could get some coffee in here? And I said, sure. And so I popped back up and I went out to the kitchenette and um, you know, there, there were a couple administrative people there who, whose responsibility was to get us coffee, you know? So right. I asked them if they'd make me a tray of coffees and they did. And I went back in the room and sat down exactly in the same chair that I did. And I handed him his coffee and I said, okay, I think we can get started now. And he looked at me appalled because he didn't realize that I was the leader that he was waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> How did that meeting go? Well, you know, it actually went really well because I think that um, it it started from a place of humility for mm. me anyway, you know. Right. And I showed that I was willing to serve him regardless of what capacity I came into the room in. Right. Um, Interesting. and I wasn't going to make that a big deal, uh, because I had other important business issues that I still needed to discuss with him. So if I step back and I look at it, um, I inadvertently exercised ethical influence, which is, um, you know, one of the principles is reciprocity and mm -hmm. that's first you and then me. <laughs> Right. Um, but I certainly didn't mean to. Um, it was sort of a, a genderized question that he had asked me. I played into it. And, um, you know, the interaction went on from there. But, you know, it was definitely something that I will always remember. And it is a story that I talk about um, when I talk about um, leadership and how we enter the room and how we choose to influence. I could have gotten mad yeah. and I could have, you know. Um, called on the conference line in the room to one of the admin staff to bring us coffee and giving the guy a dirty look and how dare you, you know, <laughs> condescend to me. But, you know, why? <laughs> right. I'll just deal with it a different way and, and maybe inadvertently show him I'm the leader that I really intend to be. Interesting. Did you have further um, interactions with the same person after this meeting? Uh, I did. Um, it was the leader from one of my key suppliers. Uh, it was my first interaction with that company in China. So the leadership in fairness locally did not know who I was or who they were dealing with. So it wasn't, um, you know, intended to be insulting or um, condescending in any way. And actually we ended up working together for about three and a half years and significantly 
grew his company's revenue with that particular division of my organization. Hmm. So we went on to do good things together and were able to have tough conversations. Um, I remember a couple meetings where my voice was raised, which is something I try not to do, <laughs> but it was. Um, but, you know, we went on and um, he saw me as the leader that I was after that and not someone who was responsible for grabbing his coffee every time we met. So, <laughs> right. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I find that interesting where... I, I guess because I was a consultant for so long, I was hired to come in and tell, that was my job. You're getting paid to come and tell this company or everybody what to do. Mm -hmm. So it played out in different ways with me. It played out in, um, if I look, if I'm too, if I look too attractive um, to the female staff, I was going to not be liked or received very well. That was always interesting. Um, and also I might not be taken all that seriously by at that time, the primarily male owner of the company. That was a huge um, barrier I had to cross multiple times 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. I don't run into that anymore. And I don't know if it's because we've gotten better as a society, things have changed. Um, yeah, I, I have no, I'm more comfortable. I have no idea, but that, that those were big deal items um, mm -hmm. 15 years ago when I was walking into organizations and I definitely mm -hmm. had to be mindful about how I dressed and um, I had to really work on having the most warm, caring personality, uh, non-showy, non-competitive, um, mm -hmm. and non-threatening so that I would be welcomed back. Because if the staff didn't like me, that they would eventually make it so that it was so difficult for their boss to keep having me come in, I would have been out of there. And that would mean that I'm not successful at my job. So it was, it was interesting to be in those different spaces as an entrepreneur, I guess. Yes. And um, I, I think what you've just described is a, a very interesting paradox that we would find ourselves in over and over again as women. And I agree with you that as we go on through time, things get easier for us, right? We, we right. realize that we've built credibility and we don't have to worry about, um, you know, maybe the tone of our voice so much, or we don't have to worry about um, you know, looking too attractive when we get dressed for a meeting or something. Right. Um, but I think that as women, we do put ourselves, unfortunately, uh, into a position where we're looking at ourselves through that lens. And that mm -hmm. is, okay, I'm less about what I'm actually bringing to the table and more about the package that it appears in. Yeah. And I have to be very careful as to what that package looks like. Um, I don't want to, again, speak with too loud of a voice because I might be seen as obnoxious or, you know, bitchy or whatever the, the current word is to describe, you know, a woman with a loud voice. Right. Um, I don't want to look too attractive because to your point, I don't want to turn any of the other women off or for that matter, the men off. 
Right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and you think about those things going through your mind and um, at the end of the day, how ridiculous is that list? I know. Um, but it was, you know, was very real. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And even just listening to, um, you know, an excerpt on a news show the other day about Tony Robbins um, and something that he said in front of a, a big, uh, a, a big conference. And that was, you know, he feels sorry for men. And he was illustrating a, a situation where, you know, a man knew that this woman candidate was most competent and yet he was oh, afraid yeah, to this. hire. I'm sure you heard about this, but oh. I think when is that not going to be a conversation anymore? Right. Um, when are we going to be able to show up as people regardless of how we're packaged and be seen for our skills and our competencies and the proficiencies that we've developed over time, as opposed to being condensed to the dress that we're wearing when we walk in the door. My goodness. <laughs> I know exactly, exactly. And it's interesting to be in, a, I mean, maybe unconsciously I did this on purpose. I don't know, but I, I tend to find where I'm going to succeed. That and I know that's not, you know, duh, doesn't everybody do that? That's probably a no, or a lot of people do that. Um, so as things have changed in my life with physicality or with uh, fit, with um, my fitness level even, or um, how much I need to practice my self-care around being alone. Just anything that's been going on in my life, my career gets shaped around what's going to be the best thing that will support me in that moment because okay. I'm um, always work for myself. Okay. I have to show up for my clients. Um, but it's interesting that I would go into radio where physicality is not a part at all, really. I mean, it really isn't a part of what is done here. That was such an issue for me with how I was raised and what I was around. And then it was an issue in having a lot of clients and having to go out and be in their offices and so on. And I could have picked a completely different career, but I picked this one and made this one work and work well. And it has nothing to do with um, my looks. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying my looks are hot stuff. I'm just saying whether I was considered attractive or not, that does not come into play at all in what I do. Right. Now. So it's kind of interesting how we traverse our, our paths um, to what will, where we will succeed. And I think uh, some uh, leadership quality is um, success is the end result that, mm -hmm. That's why we're together. So as an example, let me make this more clear because I'm being very vague. Um, when I would go into a company and the, my job was I'm to, following you. <laughs> I feel like I'm taking myself down a rabbit hole. But my job was to get them to a certain place as their consultants. It was to, and it was to be a success. So um even if there were uncomfortable moments, I knew people were going to be angry with me along the way. I knew whatever was going to happen. The end result was always success. There was nothing else other than it was going to be successful period. So we would blaze through whatever discomfort uh, was 
going to inevitably come up and then, but there was never any other end result for me in my mind other than success. Mm-hmm. So um, it was really cool. It's, it's when you have that end result in mind, all the stuff, the ancillary stuff that's going on is just ancillary stuff because at the end of the day, you can sit back and go, like I even had a friend of mine on a huge project that we did together. I mean, massive project in mental health that took two years and um, lots of bumpy roads. And she said, you know, it's so funny how successful it is now, but boy, were people angry with you and blaming you for this, that, and the other. And I said, yeah, but I didn't care because look at, I knew that two years after it was done, or, or a year after it was completed, you all would be saying, wow, it's such a great success. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. okay for people to be angry with me because I knew this would be the end result. And there was a lot of baloney with that project. But um, I think when you're in a leadership position, you do have to have this um, unflailing belief or knowing that it's it's going to turn out the way that it uh, in the most successful thing possible, because that's your job. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's um, kind of bringing folks through with the with the end in mind. And um, <laughs> I, I, I like, you know, first of all, your um, your comment about, you know, eventually migrating to a place where physicality means nothing. <laughs> um, and, mm-hmm. you know, I think that over time, Fortunately, um, if we're able to, you know, get over kind of whatever brought us to this place to begin with. And when I say that, you know, it is, um, I'm going to quote Linda Martinez Louie, but she says a lot about our, our family of origin and, um, you know, what it means to separate from that family of origin and really come into our unique selves. I, that's a journey in and of itself. Um, and it's when we finally get to a place where we haven't necessarily overcome our past, but we certainly understand it a lot better. Right. That's where we can focus on what success looks like for us. We can personalize it. Um, we can envision it to a degree. Um, you know, getting back to a bit of the conversation at the beginning of, um, this, you know, we still, don't necessarily believe it (laughs) or believe that we've actually gotten there. Um, But, you know, at at some point I believe that most of us will have uh, have a moment where we open our eyes and go, Oh, okay. It makes sense that I'm where I am now. This makes sense to me. Um, And then if we kind of move that a little further to just developing our own purpose or actualizing um, within that, the context of that success, regardless of what that success looks like, it doesn't have to be in a professional or career environment. It can be in a home. It can be as a parent. It can be as a, you know, informal peer leader. How we get to that end um, is also a matter of perception. So if we think about, you know, getting to the end by sort of you know, cajoling or prodding people along or settling into a leadership style that we're comfortable with, where we know that there may be 
some conflict or bruising along the way, but ultimately the end that we're trying to drive to is going to be optimal for all parties involved. Right. And I don't think that's a, a notion that's unique to a professional environment. I think that that's you know, the type of decision-making that we go through every day, you know, not only as women, but as people as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can only, it, yeah, Joe edit that. I'm like thinking about what you're saying and letting it resonate. And I have nothing relevant to add to that because it was good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and just talking about, you know, kind of the, the end in mind. Um, and, you know, we talked a little earlier about just the roles that we play mm -hmm. um, and how we show up for those roles. Um, you know, think about as women, how we may ultimately, um, you know, wrestle a group of people toward an end goal uh, and the response that we get from folks when we try and do that. Um, having the, the loud voice and being the aggressive person in the room uh, might come up with a completely different endpoint or effect than being you know, the more quiet, thoughtful listening voice that is willing to take input is ultimately we move to that end. Um, so again, it's, you know, it's choice of, of um, approach and how we deal with things as well that, you know, ultimately lends to the success of that endpoint. Absolutely. And sometimes because you're scanning a room, you're scanning a project, you're scanning the people involved. Sometimes you have to completely wear a different hat than you did for the last one, because that's what's going to get you to, based on what you see, the dynamics are of the group. <laughs> that's, you know, okay, I'm going to have to do this to get this to the successful endpoint. So um, being able to be flexible like that is a huge thing too. Um, I mean, being able to uh, interview a lot of different people that have that are way more educated than I am without getting buried under their credentials mm -hmm. has been a very interesting um, journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can imagine that. So, and that strikes me every time I listen to your show, actually, um, you know, the level of education and this, um, you know, just parade of absolutely uh, brilliant people that come in and out of your aura <laughs> is um, is amazing. Um, and, you know, I, I like not being the smartest person in the room all the time. So do I. I do not. I like, um, yeah. you know, just being able to see something from somebody else's perspective. Um and I forget this, my, I forget this sometimes in working with my own team. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like I have the end point in mind. Um, but I've learned over the years that um, my idea is best when it's a draft mm -hmm. and it's put out in front of people to throw darts at and to pick apart and to perhaps put back together in a way that was much more effective than I could have come up with by myself. Yeah. That's what creating this network's been like. Okay. <laughs> I was very honest in the beginning with everyone. Um, look, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, this is a team effort <laughs> and 
and let's figure it out as we go along. Yes. And, uh, and then struggling with, I'm not doing enough. I'm not being a good leader. I blah, 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 blah. And then going, okay, you're saying I weigh too much. So let's work on that. (laughs) Everybody else is busy with their own life. They're not thinking about this as much as you. (laughs) All kinds of interesting things. (laughs) Yes. Or maybe they're not thinking about it in the same way that you are. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, but it's nice to get to a place where, um, especially if you've come from from places where you've been told you're not enough and nothing that you do is enough unless you meet this criteria that is someone else's expectations of what being enough looks like Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and going, you know, okay, that the part with Linda Martinez is that separation mm-hmm. and saying, okay, well, I stand over here and that's just your opinion. That is no longer now. That is no longer the edict of my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it's, um, you know, okay. I, I respect your opinion and that's what you believe is the measure of a successful person. And that's just your opinion. It's not the theme running through my head, like love story. Every time I get up in front of a room or whatever, <laughs> Yeah, that music, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So with that being said, we don't have an end point in mind with this show. We just want to have it uh, be what it is. It's going to be created as we go along. We may have guests sometimes. It may just be the two of us. We haven't plotted all that out, listeners. Um, It's just going to it's just an important conversation for us to have in a very different time right now for women. Um, I think a very empowering time, but a time that is still on shaky ground. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the me too movement has really brought a lot of power to voices. Um, That power however, has been there to a certain extent all along. I think that right now we are choosing to flex it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, nothing is more moving to me than someone who finds their passion and their voice and is able to speak it. Um, And that's, that's what this time is about. I think for, for us as women, um, and ultimately, in my mind, getting to a place where there's not that designation, there's not that, you know, I'm a man, you're a woman sort of designation, because when we ultimately reach that place, um, the gender falls away and we show up as people. You right. know, a woman who is outspoken in the boardroom isn't bossy and she's not a bitch. She's a person who is there, who's strong and effective and trying to lead her business, you know, and you can multiply that across any other situation where we're leaders in our own lives uh, or amongst our friends or in a professional environment. And, and that is, um, you know, what happens when we do ultimately speak out about things that are uncomfortable to talk about? Eventually they're not uncomfortable anymore. That's right. That's right. Exactly. And what happens when we share that voice share the stage of the voice about it with other people that are also passionate. Yes. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) 
Yeah, there's a, there's a, I think I'm trying not to be judgmental here. Um, I have an issue with ungraciousness, um, with self-absorbed uh, people. Um, not that I haven't also been ungracious myself and not that I also can't, don't have my self-absorbed moments, <laughs> but as a, as a whole, I, um, I really prefer to live in that space. And I think that's my go, that's my natural go-to place. I don't have to fight it. Um, I tend to more have to be careful not to give up too much of my power. Uh, so I tend to go in that opposite direction to other people, but um, much better about that lately. But when I do see those kinds of things sort of rear their ugly head, um, that's how I determine, okay, is this how I want to spend my time anymore uh, professionally? Mm-hmm. It isn't personally, but do I want to spend my time in in that space with someone who acts like this and this is this is their natural resting state? Um, and the answer is, you know, no, I, I don't. I just mm-hmm. got an email from one of our new podcasters that's going to talk about sports. And he said, um, I'm so glad I'm coming on to do this with you because I really like working with you and I know that you'll be very conscientious about my voice and what I want to do with my show and the way that he wants to talk about sports uh, means something very different to him. And, um, and I just won't, I don't want to work with people that don't behave the the way that you have with me. And I thought, wow, God, that is such a great compliment. Mm -hmm. What a nice thing, you know, to say. And even Mm -hmm. if I have my icky moments, it's nice to be at that, be comfortable in this kind of a space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to be a leader that someone would want to work with, you know, and, and I, you know, I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we can look back in time and, um, you know, see ourselves at in points in time where people would not want, but would not have wanted to work for us or with us, you know, right. exactly. um, but, but the, you know, that's, that's the good stuff. That's the growth that manifests itself into, um, you know, coming the, becoming the person that we really aspire to be. And I think that we have a responsibility, you know, not just as women, as people, um, to model that and to help people really understand how we got there. Because I'm sure that, you know, young in your career, you know, you went through a, a period of, you know, defensiveness and why can't you see me? And if only I could get my message across, you know, who, who hasn't really, and even more amplified coming from a a childhood um, where you're ignored or told to be quiet or what have you. Um, Mm. When you finally are able to open your mouth, it sounds offensive. You know, it's, it sounds egregious. It sounds like you're, you know, overstepping your boundary and, and talking about yourself in a way that you shouldn't, but Words how like do we get past that? Now? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And that's what we're going to explore. These are the things that we're going to explore. So Catherine, thank you so much for wanting to do this. You showed up at the right time for me, for sure. And I, I think you feel the same way about me. So it's going to be really interesting to explore what this means and after doing many shows, looking back at the trajectory or the way that they've 
turned out to be and, and going, is this anything like what we thought in the beginning? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I guess we'll, I guess we'll see where it goes. And I, I just thank you so much. I think it's a great opportunity. Um, and I appreciate uh, being able to explore this topic with you ongoing. Absolutely. Me too. And of course, thank you listeners for, um, you know, going on these journeys with me and also with everybody else that comes on the show. Uh, you know, it's, this is fun. This is the human experience. And, um, so I just appreciate your patience with all the things that we do as we're, as we're figuring out different shows and different regular, uh, co-hosts that come on. So of course, as always, thank you for tuning in to Mental Health News Radio.